the rolling didn't go. We're live. Go. All right. All right. We are live. <laughs> Ladies, gentlemen, quadrupeds, ectotherms, welcome to another blood cooling episode of the podcast. We're here. I'm Anthony. We're here with uh, Kevin Minto. Hey, guys. And America's turtle heartthrob, Chris Leone. And Steve is here as well. Steve, can the people see you? Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, good. I can't see you. You're hidden behind my microphone settings. Awesome. Awesome. We're here and off to a good start. Um, excited to bring this show to you because we wanted to do something a little bit different where we basically uh, use this as an opportunity to talk about husbandry, right? That's that's one of the things that this group is really good at. So, you know, we do a lot of talking about ideas and things like that. Let's actually spend some time talking about um, some of the things we work on. I am going to silence that beeping in the background. I don't know if you can hear that. Just one yes. second. Talk amongst yourselves. We can hear it. <laughs> so what's going on, guys? How are you? Uh, so welcome to the podcast, everybody. What is this? This is episode 65? 65. 65. 65. How, how many episodes have I been on now? Is this eight? I was trying to figure that out. Are there eight or well, nine? Well, uh, not, are talk- not as a guest. I mean, as a host. Oh, I don't think it's been eight. No, I thought it was. No, I don't think we. I don't. I think we probably have had eight episodes this year. You were on once, kind of when we had Casey on in January. That's and right. Then, that's that's what I'm thinking of. Yep. Yeah, and then you weren't on when we had Zach on, right? Uh, yes, I was. Mm-hmm. That you was were? actually that, that was, was the first that time? was that was my first one when when Zach was on and we talked about. At that point, okay. he was still going. He was still going to Madagascar. I think that was March. And All then right, you weren't so, on in February when we were when we did the uh, monk episode. Yeah, anyway, we don't have to do I think this that's on correct. the air. Yeah. We don't have to do this on the air though. So I think it's probably more like six or seven. But okay. whatever. Whatever. So this is something that comes up all the time. And we, we don't um, ignore the request for sure. It's something that we're always excited to talk about. And I think it's something that comes up naturally in our shows all the time. But um, instead of just having it come up, we thought, let's actually just dedicate a show to this. So our features will all be kind of geared towards that. And then um, we'll be able to talk about some specific husbandry-related things that, um, that you guys should really like. So um, first, before we get started, um, just want to talk about the podcast t-shirt again. Keep Steve on his toes. So we have the, um, the bonfire still set up until Friday. We're really excited about that. This is, again, we've been doing the podcast for seven and a half years. We've never had a podcast-themed anything um, in terms of, like, merchandise, uh, merch, if you will. So uh, there's hoodies, tank tops, if you're not a hairy beast like Kevin Minto and I, um, tank tops could work for you. There's... Children's sizes as well. Uh, some pretty cool stuff. So head on over to uh, the bonfire link, which you can find on our Facebook page, and check out the T-shirts. We'll talk about it again um, later in the show. But just wanted to, to um, throw that out there. So those are available until Friday. Um, and speaking of T-shirts, Chris, I really like yours. Oh, Mr. DNA? Yeah. I mean, I like Kevin's T-shirt because I'm from Connecticut. Oh, here we go. Well, you're wearing, a pretty, you're wearing a pretty good one yourself. 
I am. Let's talk about our T-shirts for a second. I like the uh, the bonfire link there, so that shows you what it looks like. Yeah, you there see it some is. of the merch there. T-shirt, tank top, long sleeve, and there's also a hoodie. And as I said, children's sizes, so pretty exciting stuff. I bought but, a bunch uh, of Kev- Kevin's rock. Yeah, you got three of them, right? Mm-hmm. I got to do that. I was last minute with the terrapin shirts too, and but I'm gonna I'm not gonna be last minute with these. I'm gonna get on that. Well, that's almost last minute. It's almost last minute. Yeah. That's okay. Um, not quite. I just ordered mine today so that I could say on the air that I ordered mine. So <laughs> two out of three ain't bad. Okay. Or three out of four because I'm sure Steve has ordered something. Right, Steve? Okay. So, um, yeah, Kev, I like your shirt. Hartford Whalers is a Connecticut guy. I really appreciate that. But, Chris, your shirt, man. I'm feeling that. Bingo. Dino DNA. <laughs> dinosaur eggs I, I got i have so many jurassic park shirts it's it's not funny half of them that's, don't see anymore but that's next level though yeah. oh like, this is my brother-in-law found this shirt for me and he was like i can't remember i think it was christmas and he didn't he didn't have the gift that day and he was like dude i'm so mad your 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 gift's not here but i'm so excited and he was like flipping out over it flipping out over it and and he was making such a big deal out of it and then it came in the mail and, then, and he just, like, he came over one day and he just threw it at me. He's like, here's your Christmas gift. And I was like, oh, it's a T-shirt. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's the, the best one ever. So I like obscure things like that. Like, that's that's next level right there. Yeah. Like, not many people have that T-shirt. And people might, you know, people who like the movie might not even realize what it is. That's true. Um, yeah. Anyway, awesome. Awesome. So let's jump right into it. So let me explain the idea for the premise of this show um, today. We wanted to highlight a specific project that each one of us is working on and talk about the ins and outs of those projects in a, a little more detail than we normally do. We kind of bounce around and as things come up, we'll we'll make analogies or compare this project to that project, that sort of thing. But we want to actually take a little bit of a deeper dive into a few of those projects. Now, some of us you're are known for particular projects. So Chris is known for several, but probably like Herman's tortoises, right? Kevin is known for Diamondbacks. I'm known probably for Spangler Eye. Um, so when you, when you ask one of us to talk about like those projects that we're most known for, or most involved in or whatever, we could talk for hours and hours about those things. Um, and we weren't really sure what other people would want to hear from each one of us. So the game plan for this was to have the other hosts here choose for us. So each project that we're, we will highlight today of ours have been chosen by the other hosts. Okay, so that's pretty much what it is. And each one of us has one and we're going to uh, talk about them for you. And as things come up, feel free to send in questions of your own. And we're going to ask each other questions and just have a little uh, rap session about some of our favorite um, projects that we might not have brought up on our own. Are we ready? I think we're feeling ready. It? We're feeling yeah, it? Yeah. Definitely. Okay. I'm excited for this because, you know, like you said, like, you, you, you know, I think almost anybody in the hobby, at least, is, is known for something, you know, whether it's one species or a few, but you don't take into consideration other things that they might have. And uh, this is a good way for, you know, to expose that and, and maybe learn a little something from it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So who's going first? Kevin. Kevin. Oh, I volunteered last month, you know, so I figured <laughs> I'd get it out of the way. 
This month, I want to be either middle or last. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, I'll go first. I'll go first. I thought I was the one that was mean to Kevin. I wasn't, being mean. I, w- I wasn't being mean to him. I wasn't being mean to him. It's because I said Nutella is not as good as peanut butter. You know, oh, we're still on that. About it. We're still on that thing. I don't know why you needed to bring that up. Now, now, now I'm ah, I'm fueling this fire, man. I don't feel good now. Damn. <laughs> I know my role. My role is uh, on. That's why I'm here. You know. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Chris. All right, so take it away. Want me to go first? Yeah. I don't remember what we chose for you though. Well, wait a minute. I thought uh, I chose supposed, it. I thought I'm supposed to ask you about the project that I picked for you. No, is that not how this is going to go? Oh, yeah, let's do that. So you want to talk about mine oh, first. Yeah, that's I, I didn't realize that. Sorry. If you want to, oh, if you want that's to talk funny. about what Kevin picked for me, then let's let's go that way. Yeah, it's like a Yankee swap or Dirty Rotten Santa, like like a gift-giving thing where you you get for the person. So if you say so-and-so is going first, like, okay, is it the gift that someone got for them or is it the one that they got that's for what someone I mean. else? So what do you want yeah. me to do? You want me to ask we you can do it. to tell? Oh, man, that's cr- so let's 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 tell. Why don't you tell first? Okay, I'll tell. Let's okay, tell sure. about yours first. Okay, okay. but I don't remember okay. what you were going to tell about. So, I chose the uh, Lucocephalon Iwana wiper, Chris. Ooh, nice pronunciation. Yeah, that's very. Is that all right? Yeah, yeah. it's perfect. Lucocephalon and Lucocephalon means white head. And mm-hmm. uh, yes, I am currently. I have not been for long, but I am working with a uh, an adult group of 2.2 animals uh and this just so anybody knows this is the sulawesi forest turtle it's only found so good on the uh island of sulawesi so Um, good and um it's just to give a little bit of background you know i um and i guess this is no surprise to some people probably especially you guys but i've always been attracted to leucocephalon yuanoi because i feel like they are indonesia's version of the north american wood turtle um, and a lot, I think a lot of people have said that, like they, they see a lot of similarities just in the way the turtles are built, the massive heads of the males, um, and just the overall structure and morphologies can be tied back to the, to the, you know, Glyptimus and Sculpta, um, at least somewhat. So they always, they always intrigued me and I kind of was always afraid of them because, you know, the few people that worked with them aside from the TSA, uh, and a couple other overseas um, entities would just complain about them never making it. You know, one of two things would either happen: either you'd only be able to find males, uh, and they and they can't be housed together, or um, they would just not do well and die. And that that scared me. But then later on, it started to intrigue me a little bit because I've become so. Um, available to my wood turtles in terms of providing them with with my understanding of their habitat and there i see a lot of similarities in the habitat too whereas these turtles occur in these slow moving clear water mountainous type streams um in in uh, sulawesi which is similar to the you know uh habitats that we see north american wood turtles here in the northeast and great lakes region so I just kind of started thinking, you know, if, if this if this ever were to happen, I, I think I might be able to be able to pull this off. And sure, challenges pre- presented themselves later on. But um, terribly long story short, I ended up with 2.2. Uh, it's all several partnerships. Uh, 1.1 um, of the adults is uh, between me and a friend, Jared um, Sikowski, who used to be a member of the Turtle Room. And then um, one adult male is belongs to Mike Lorette. If you guys know Mike Lorette, he's he's a very impressive uh, biologist, herpetologist, reptile keeper. And um, 
the other female uh, recently came to me from the TSA on a loan. So that is what the group is. And um, I think I've given a little bit of a background on how I have them and why, the ha why I have them. So uh, do we want to ask questions now? We do. I have, I have a question for you. Mm. Of course you do. So, yeah, why not? You know? You're the uh, question guy. I'm the question guy, I guess. All right. So, uh, they are not extremely strong swimmers, correct? No. Okay. So, is that why? I mean, yes, correct. Sorry. They are not yeah. good swimmers. Not strong swimmers. Yeah. Correct. So, is that, that, so is is that why correct. you feel correct? <laughs> I knew you were going to do it. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. Got it. Get, right, no get in there. Who would have. Don't do it. Not on air. Okay. Uh, oh man! All right. So, is that why you feel like they're uh, endemic to Sulawesi and not any of the other seventeen thousand plus islands in Indonesia? Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe. I, I that that's a really really good question. Uh, I'm I'm embarrassed because uh, I wasn't prepared for it. So we're going to talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we'll circle back. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll circle back. back. To that. Oh, we got a, we got a problem here. We're going to have to cut out. But uh, let's, so let's put a pin in that. Yeah. Okay. So we'll I, I got a second. In it. I got a second part question to that then. Second part to that question. Uh, being that there is so many islands there, you know, they were more than likely at some point closer land masses that were connected. Mm -hmm. You know, and if that's the case, being that they're so close, they all have the same climate, as far as I understand, why wouldn't they have survived in other islands if they were, you know, once a... Well, I mean, I think a, a big thing to do with this species is just this, its terrible reproduction rate, you know? Mm -hmm. reproductive rate you know you're talking i mean i have very limited experience with them but uh from everything that i've read everything that i've been told by people that know way way more about them than i do um you're, you're talking one egg maybe two um you know and the the turtles have definitely been poached heavily for the pet trade in the past you know i remember a time where it just seemed like they were males all over the place you know what i mean they were just everybody had them on price lists and stuff like that and and, um, so I, I definitely think it's, uh, maybe it's accessibility on some of the other line, uh, um, islands as to why the turtles disappeared there. Um, I don't know enough about the, the habitat specifics of each island. Maybe, you know, this particular island in, in Indonesia just has that microclimate for them or, or, you know, habitat preferences that enabled them to root there and, and, you know continue on whereas it didn't work on other islands i don't know you know there, there's a lot about their natural history and past that i'm still eager to eager to learn but those are definitely good questions you know okay i wish i could answer them for you you know i'll, I'll ask the turtles you know for you mm -hmm. and get back to you wise ass uh one other question then sorry to keep jumping in uh <laughs> i just want to ask them while i remember them anyway are are they overly aggressive like males versus males yeah um so they're, they're just aggressive turtles, man. This is, uh, if you guys can see, this is one of the females uh, basking. This was uh, shortly before I discovered that she laid an egg, actually. But um, they are very aggressive. Uh, I've been warned not to keep them together, sp uh, specifically males. This is the main breeding pair right here. Um, and it's funny, man. You, if you pick one up, they snap at you like a diamondback terrapin or a common snapping turtle. You know, and and really? you don't and you don't want to get bit. You know, you could just yeah. you could just tell that they they can do some serious damage. Um, the males are huge. You know, um, Mike Lorette's male is is really big. He's just a big. That's that's the fertile egg that I had gotten, and um, they're uh, so I don't keep the males together, but I I am having success 
housing the original pair together. They seem to live together beautifully in harmony. Um, and um, they breed readily. Uh, and so there's no aggressive issues there. But I wouldn't dare put the two males together. I, I can't imagine what would happen. You know? Okay, so that might have answered some of our questions then because the vast majority of those islands in Indonesia are a lot smaller than Sulawesi. It's like yeah. one of the four bigger islands in Indonesia. Um, so if they're in a much smaller area, they may have just, you know, outcompete, fought, killed each other off. Yeah, who knows, you know, and, and, and if they're anything like North American wood turtles, then perhaps they are cannibalistic with their young, you know. Okay. Uh, and, and, and even though the young are very large at, at hatching, you know, it... it wouldn't take much for an adult male to pick one off quickly, you know, or several. What's a hatching usually weigh? Roughly? Um, I well, the hat. This this egg here resulted in um, a failure, and the animal went full term in the egg and died within the egg just days before hatching. Um, and it was big. I, I did not weigh it. I, I, you know, discarded it because it was it was kind of heartbreaking to deal with. Um that I had gotten that far with something that, you know, usually doesn't work out for anybody. And, um, that, you know, so the hatchling perished in the egg, but I mean, I will, I will tell you right now, it's a good three times the size of a North American wood turtle hatchling. Okay. I mean, the egg was massive, you know? Um, I wish I waited. I did not. Okay. Well, in the future. I mean, it was, it was every part of three inches long, you know, maybe, maybe two and a half inches, you know? So that's crazy cool. Um, with that incubation media, it looks like peat, moss, and vermiculite mixed? Straight vermiculite. Okay, it's just a darker vermiculite. It's that, used to see. I like to use the uh, the black gold stuff. That's why it almost looks more okay. like a like a dark sand, you know? That's the uh, yep. vermiculite uh, I use, too. Yeah, it, it's, it's really good stuff. I really prefer it. Um, and I don't know what I did. I think maybe I let it get a little bit too wet towards the end. Um, well, that's what I was going to ask. Are you, were you measuring, you know, I've been finding lately, like with the Spangler eye eggs, they're, they're looking good on one-to-one vermiculite to water by weight, which I never would have done in the past. Yeah. But the last couple of years, I just haven't had success, you know, large success. I've been hatching them, but not as much as I should right. be getting fertile eggs. And they're just, they're going, yeah half term close to full term and well, just aren't hatching if you recall you know that, that's similar to what i was dealing with with the uh the angulate or bosper tortoise eggs when i was yeah. working with them you know a lot of midterm full-term failures you know couldn't figure it out couldn't figure it out you know that's that's a story for another day but um i wish i had more to compare this to but this was the one and only egg i got um and it was uh, you know wonderfully fertile you know it went all the way and just perished at the end and now chris hagan uh who was my mentor during this whole process you know he basically said you know give yourself a pat on the back even though it died in the egg because i got that far with it and he said it's just yeah. a very it's said he said he doesn't know why but it is a very common occurrence for them to develop like that and just die at the end i assume it has something to do with the oxygen requirements of the now fully developed baby in the egg and mm. um Maybe there's something that needs to be done towards the end. I, I mean, again, I, I hate to bring it up, but comparing it to the angulate tortoise thing where I had to actually sand the egg down to allow more oxygen in there. Now, I don't think I could have done that with this really brittle shelled egg. I guarantee it would have collapsed. But maybe there was something where towards the end the egg needed to dry out a little more. Maybe I needed to let more air in the incubator. I'm hoping I get another shot at it um, again this winter if she comes around and lays again the same time. Um, but I'm, I'm scared to death of it too. <laughs> you know, that the same thing's going to happen. 
Is there no data like from Sulawesi on their natural like reproduction and like not gestation? That I've been able, not that I've been able to find. Yeah, um, they're they're really poorly understood. Um, so I know something. Some of the keepers of South American turtles have talked about is how important the layer of of sphagnum moss covering the egg is because. Uh-huh. It's pH helps break down the egg naturally a little bit, like the the soil right. they'd be buried in in South America. So that makes me, you know, that's always one of those things I think about when people talk about eggs that seemingly need to have something happen to them to help the animal hatch. It's like, so maybe, you know, what what in nature is happening in the soil or whatever that might cause the egg shell to break down a little bit to let that oxygen in or make it easier for the yeah. egg to get or for the turtle to break out or whatever the case might be. Uh, yeah, you know, and that, that's that's an excellent point because that that has been brought up with, with a lot of um, different things. You know, where people that are having failures with any species w- similar to this, that one of the the topics that that is brought up is you know, you know, what is the pH of the soil that the eggs are typically being laid in compared to what your inc- the, the medium you're incubating it on. So that's something else too. Like I did not put uh, sphagnum moss on or around this egg, and and you know maybe maybe I uh, maybe I should have. You know, maybe next time around I'll do that. I'm not, um, this isn't one of those projects where you could just ask somebody who's done it before. Yeah. Yeah. Because there aren't, there aren't many. Have you spoken to anyone who's done it before successfully? Just Chris Hagen. That's it. You know, Chris Chris has, I didn't know that Chris had. Yeah. They've had, well, the female that, that I have from them, they hatched is one of the ones that they got it. Yeah. At the turtle survival center. So they, they have hatched several, um, and, um, but he said, you know, for the few that they, the several that they've hatched, there, there's, there's plenty of failures, you know? And he, mm-hmm. he said it, something as simple as, and go figure, we hear stories like this all the time, you know, they'll come out one day and there's a baby in the enclosure from an egg that they didn't know was there, right. you know? Right. So it's a, something as simple as that. And then some, you know, maybe sometimes you, you do need to just, I've hatched a species here that, you know, um, I guess they're not too far fetched, you know, like the Mediterranean tortoises that have hatched outdoors naturally here, which we've talked about my climate being very suitable for them. So I guess that's not really a surprise, you know what I mean? But, um, it just goes to show sometimes you don't even know. It's almost like what you don't know won't hurt you. And sometimes a very positive thing comes out of it. And you walk in, you walk out one day to your building and there's a baby you want looking at you that you didn't, you didn't even know the egg was there, you know, but now, I'm not, if I get another egg, I'm not going to leave it in there, you know, uh, in fear that the female will eat it, you know, but now, I'd be interested to know what the sorry, Kev, what no, the no. Um, incubation medium was for the folks at the Denver Zoo that hatched them, and then also Chris Hagen when he hatched them as well. Chris said it was vermiculite, um, but I, you know, I want to recall now they they may have been um, using some sphagnum. I gotta I gotta go back in our emails. You know, now he and I are talking about a totally different thing, but um, you know, I w- I wasn't very far off from what because again he was mentoring me with this. I wasn't very far off from uh, what they were doing, but it just didn't pan out, you know. Still. How's Kevin doing? It was, uh, I don't know. I think uh, was... Trying to fix my lap- Do- tablet, excuse me. Doing calisthenics. Somersault break. Were you going to uh, say something else before you crudely, you know, messed with your computer? <laughs> Fixing stuff, man. Uh, no, I was, I was, uh, but you beat me to the punch. I was going to ask in an ideal situation, 
would you like to leave it in the substrate to see if it would hatch naturally based on like pH, you know? I mean, <laughs> ideally with, with anything, I would love to just leave everything alone and, and, and see what comes of it. Mm -hmm. But uh, now why, why, why don't you try blocking off that area of the enclosure? Like once she lays, like just take them out of there. Um, well, I, I, you know what? I guess it's definitely an option. You know what I mean? I mean, it would, it'll take space away from her. You know, the, mm -hmm. these guys, I haven't had the uh, gall to try them outdoors here. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I, I have found that they really are sensitive to cold, which surprises me because I, mm -hmm. I, I've got species here that, that, you know, come from all different areas that I leave out till November and they don't even care, you know. Yeah. But these guys seem to, you know, if the temperature drops overnight, that they're not having it. So I, I have chosen to them to be really one of my only projects to stay permanent indoors. indoors, you know, which I don't really like, you know, but they're doing so well like this. So it, it'd be kind of hard to take room away from them. But again, anything is an option. I, I think I can nail it if I if I'm given the chance again. Um, mm -hmm. And I think with the, the oxygen requirements of the egg and maybe pulling a little bit back on the moisture towards the end of the term there, because it, it's, it's frustrating because the, the hatchling had, I had just candled it without even handling the egg. You know, I had just candled it and it was pitch black in there just a week, like a week or so shy of hatching. And you could see it, it thrashed, it moved. And I was like, oh, this is great. And then the, the full term dates come and then we're, we're a week past it and we're two weeks past it and it's not hatching. Mm -hmm. And then it started to turn colors and I was like, Ugh, it's gone, you know, and I opened mm -hmm. it up and it was, it had died and it was a fully formed perfect baby, you know? So we'll see, you know, I'm, 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 I am happy that I got that far with it. You know, something was going right. You know, it just didn't, uh, right. it wasn't a home. Right. It was a, uh, it was a swing and a miss or it was uh, it was a single or maybe even a double, but uh, yeah. it, was, it was not a home run. Was that her first time laying? Like she, she actually came from Ben Forrest, who's another TTR member. And she had, when Ben sent her to me, he sent her out. And then the very next day he said, you're not going to believe this, but I was cleaning out her enclosure and I found an egg. And, uh, he said he had no long, he had no idea how long it had been in there, if it was any good. And it turned out to not be good, but you know, to answer your question now, it's prompted me to remember that maybe leaving it in the enclosure was didn't work because that egg was bad. You know, it had gone bad, you know? Um, okay. It wasn't infertile. It was a, he thinks it, he yeah. thinks it was fertile and that it went bad, but he has no right. idea how long it had been in there. Sure. Um, you know, and then, um, you know, then she laid again for me and, uh, that's how that turned out. And, uh, is she grabbed currently or no? I don't feel anything in there. You know, I was able to palpate her, um, and feel the egg. And, uh, this time, uh, she, I don't feel anything yet. I think it's going to be, again, it'll, you know, we'll come around, you know, right, right around the holidays. She'll, she'll do it again. Okay. I mean, the like I got, you know, I post a lot of videos and stuff and, and even the video that you put together, the footage I gave you of them, uh, that, that pair is constantly breeding. So that's wonderful. Yeah. So good things ahead and, and yeah, keep us updated. And that's really cool. I, one last question to, to kind of round out this topic um, people talk about Yuanawai, the Sulawesi forest turtle that we're talking about right now as being like an Asian wood turtle. And you mentioned that. Right. I saw another post on Facebook today describing Maremi's japonica, the Japanese pond turtle as the Asian 
North American wood turtle. Right. I've seen people talk about Spinosa like that. I've seen people talk about Cyclemes like that. Right. So my question to you, a wood a wood turtle expert who has kept all of those other taxa, which Asian turtle is most like the North American wood turtle? And you have to take into account cold hardiness. So the you want to like look like them, good, but good. they're yeah. not cold hardy though. I'm uh, this this is this is great. This this is my favorite question so far. No offense, no offense, Kev. You had great ones, but I really like this. Um, I, I love you. Sorry, I, I love you. You know. Um, I love Kev too. So I'm still going to pick Iwanawai. And the reason is because of the intelligence, yeah. the, morpho- the, the intelligence, the morphology, and the habitat specifics, the preferences that they have for their habitat. Um, so I, just the intelligence level, you know what I mean? Again, I, I have, you guys know how many species of turtles and tortoises I've kept over the year. And I still, even, even comparing them to Minoria, I am still yet to see a colonian challenge the intelligence of a North American wood turtle. Um, that's not to say it's not out there, but I have all these species we're talking about for the most part I have kept and I am, I've just have not seen it. You know, it, it's incredible. So I'm still going to go with Iwanawai, but they, they lose in the category of cold hardiness. Okay. A wood turtle. I mean, even in South Jersey here, I don't really think our wood, our winters are all that cold enough for the North American wood turtle. They do reproduce for me. It's been a little bit of a battle over the years once I moved further south, but um, they really, really, really thrive in cold. Like right now, like here's, here's a prime example right now. If I knew we were going to talk about this, I would have gotten some footage to Steve. But right now, there is there are two North American wood turtles nesting out in the enclosure. I was just watching them on the camera to make sure the crows don't get their eggs. Um, and it is very cold for June. It is very cold for June. We're going to be only 59 degrees tonight, which we shouldn't even be seeing that. That, that was supposed to be out of here well over a month ago. Um, and they're the only, they're the one species, them and the Blanding's turtles that are like, yeah, so what? This is great, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, but there are other similarities. Now, you know, Maremi's Japonica, I, I'm going to give that a, they lose. No way. I don't, I don't think there is, a, I don't think there is a similarity at all. With the exception that, and I think you can attest to this, there there were some dealers. Well, we will not name them that used to sneak baby North American wood turtles onto their tables at the Hamburg Reptile Show, where North American wood turtles are highly protected and you cannot sell them under any circumstances. They would put baby North American wood turtles on their table and sell them as Japanese wood turtles, Moremi's Japonica, because they are that similar as babies yeah, especially as adults babies. there are some similarities but you flip the two over and it's night and day you know and if you know these species you know what i'm talking about uh totally. intelligence intelligence you know in my opinion Moremi's japonica is a pond turtle you know a, a north american wood turtle is everything pretty much all in one um but i will say that i think cyclones have a lot of uh, similarities they have the appetite and the hardiness uh they definitely can take some cold um but they uh and they just seem to kind of want to sit around and get fat instead of uh, really exhibit their intelligence <laughs> as much as a wood turtle does. So definitely some similarities, but to sum it up, I think you want to why takes the cake in that uh, with the exception of cold hardiness. And I think just cause I like to do this on the show and I know Chris, you do it as well. When we talk about a scientific name, we like to also talk about what the common name is. So when we're talking about cyclemes, that's a genus Right. Um, where the species are known as Asian leaf turtles, in case um, you didn't know. Now you know. Awesome. Okay, so let's move on to the next one. Who's next? 
Who's Not next? me. I'll Who's go. Next? Who's I'll next? Go. Who's next? I go whenever you guys All right. tell me to go. Kev. Kev, what are yeah. you talking about? I can't remember. I don't know. What am I talking about? It's I don't know. Me. Did I get? I'm talking about. I'm, yeah, you picked me. You picked Diamondbacks. I did. I did. Because, you know, you, you because that's out, man. I did, but you know, Kev, I've been, I've been pushing you. you guys. I've what? been pushing you to get out of your comfort zone lately, and and you, you, your knowledge is strongest in Diamondback Terrapins, mm-hmm. and we shouldn't keep taking that from you. It's fine, right? Sure. Because we love you. And we want, you know, we want to build you up. My knowledge is actually strongest in uh, flavored seltzer water. Just so you guys right, yeah. right, right. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would agree. So wait a minute. So you did pick Diamondbacks for him? Yeah, he I did. did. Yeah, and I you're did. Di- and you're disappointed in that? Me? No, not at all. Oh, oh, okay, okay. I like talking about him. In the beginning of the show, he was saying that we would talk about different species than what we were known for. I did say that, and then mm-hmm. lied. Yeah, <laughs> but I just you know some it, we also have to look at the body of work too. Like over the last mm-hmm. several shows, and we've been doing our new segments that include us talking about different projects and things like that. And I don't think, Kevin, have you talked about Diamondbacks in those yet? Uh, the only time we talked about it when we had Jack Berlin on about two years ago. Yeah, that was a long time ago, man. Oh, there we go. Yeah. So, yeah. And yeah. you know what? So I there think you go. This is good. I think this is good because usually when we're talking about Diamondback Terrapins, we're talking about Casey and the project. You know what I mean? Right. The Terrapin Conservation that's Initiative, and that's not. I think it's the best project out there. But well, thank you. But uh, it's uh, <laughs> you know it, it's good to let people know that we have experience with them under captive conditions because that's mm-hmm. extremely important, as you all know. Right. Right. So Kev, tell us about your Diamondbacks. How many do you have right now? Are you at liberty uh, to say? Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's not illegal to keep them in Connecticut. We cannot keep Northerns, the Northern subspecies, um, cause they're, you know, they're native here. So we're just, it's a, what's called a species of special concern in Connecticut through our DEP. Uh, so we can't keep those, but I can keep any of the other subspecies. As long as I'm kind of keeping track of where it came from, I can provide information, uh, and then credible sources that say it is what it is, but I'm keeping, uh, Mississippi's, which is a uh, Pileata, uh, the Texans, which is Littoralis. And I'm keeping ornate, which is uh, uh, Macrospilota, excuse me. And if I mispronounce those, I'm sorry. My Latin is not the best. They sounded good to me, man. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so it actually started with Northerns before I knew any better. Steve, uh, did, Steve didn't correct you, so I think you did pretty good. That's right. Awesome. You... <laughs> Steve, feel free to jump in at any point. You're Later, doing it wrong, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... Uh, me, a uh, good buddy of mine who you know, Anthony Charles Lee, and a coworker of mine years ago, uh, probably about four years ago, uh, we decided to each get Diamondback Terrapin. We saw them online. We wanted to try them out as a species. We ordered uh, three Northerns off King Snake from Dave and PA, who, as oh, we know, is a well known poacher. But when I first got into it, I had no idea who he was. I didn't know any better whatsoever. Send them to you in a cereal box. Dude, <laughs> even worse. It was like, it was like a, a padded envelope. Uh, it was wrapped up. It was wrapped up oh, in like God. He-Man sheets with duct tape. You know what I you mean? Know, you know, they should have let him go just a little bit longer to see if he actually went as low as starting to just put the label on the turtle and put it in the mail like that. <laughs> you know? uh, that guy, um, man. Uh, but no, he he was sentenced to six months in jail, and I think it's like two hundred fifty thousand dollars in restitution. Uh-huh. Uh, so, and we know the guy's where he was definitely. 
the guy definitely, you know, made way more than that doing what he was doing, poaching for 11 plus years that I know of. Um, but it's glad to see that he's going to be responsible for paying that back. Mm-hmm. So that's that was at first. And uh, Steve, if you want to pull up my first picture, you can actually see that turtle. I had it from a hatchling till it was a sub adult. Uh, it's picture number one. That's him right there. Uh, I moved him out. And then I want to say a few months back, the person that uh, once I figured out I couldn't keep him, uh, the person that took him for me was like, I have to get rid of him. So I, I helped, you know, refacilitate. This is actually him within the past month or so. Uh, but Northerns, Northerns are my favorite, man. They have the longest range. Uh, Chris will attest to this. They're extremely flighty in the wild, but in captivity, after you know them for a week, they're puppy dogs. They'll come right up to you. They won't yeah. be scared at all. It's one of the coolest turtles as far as that goes. And they have the widest, like, widest range of uh, phenotypes. Like, you can just see different markings on. You'll never see any that are similar. Yeah, it's like a McDonald's yeah. ball pit with them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really cool. Right, isn't that? I mean, I mean, yeah, man. It's gross. <laughs> yeah, it, it can get gross. <laughs> I don't know if he's comparing it that way, but... Yeah. yeah. Well, that's uh, where it's... Right. <laughs> so, from... <laughs> from there, uh, I, I really like the species, but I wanted to work, you know, with other uh, subspecies uh-huh. there. So, I went with the uh, Mississippi, which is um, Malaclamides terrapin uh, pileata. Uh, Steve, that's picture number two. So we took the picture. I, yeah. So I it's got fancy. a I got a decent group of uh, animals together. It was let's see 3.3 uh, 3.3. Uh, I did have a female die right off the bat. I bought them from another guy. Uh, this is all early on. I didn't know it was a wild caught animal, and I really struggled to get it to eat. Uh, brought them to the vet. We did two feeding. It just it just, the stress you know was too much for it. So that was unfortunate, but Mississippi's right now. Uh, Chris, do you have any at all there? Or no. No, the only two I have is uh, we have just the just just whatever confiscations we have, and okay. uh, it's just a couple uh, two centrata and uh, three ornata. Um, I'm sorry, two centrata, one terrapin terrapin, and mm-hmm. um, three macrospilota. I don't know yeah. why I said ornata. I, I'm not talking about. It's boxes. the what's the, well, the ornate diamond. Mm-hmm. You just mix yeah. it up a little bit. Yes. Okay. Well, Mississippi's from just my experience personally is they're so ridiculously casual. Like I can put my hand in the water and these wild caught animals will come and swim on top of my hand because they know I'm bringing them food. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. You know, and they haven't even been in captivity for extreme amounts of time. You know, I think less Mm -hmm. than 10 years. Uh, But to be so comfortable with that, it's it's really, really cool. Um, from there, I started getting some ornates, which is the one that everybody wants. It's like the, the pretty one, you know. Uh, but it's crazy. I think that ornates might be my least favorite terrapin now. In the beginning, that's what I wanted. I wanted like a spotless pink head one, you know. And I still have them. I still really like them. But of them all, I I don't think they should be valued at what they're valued at. I'm with you on that, actually. Yeah. So why why are they least uh, endearing to you? Compared to the other subspecies you keep. It might be because it just everybody wants it because it's such like a beautiful, pretty animal. Yeah, I get that. You have these insane colors, you know, pinks and purples and blues and this spotless skin or even with spot skin. I have a, if Steve, you pull up picture number three. Yeah, give me a second. uh, You'll see this like uh, yearling that I have, or he's two years old now, uh, that is really large spots right there. Yeah, so... 
people generally don't like this. You know, they want the spotless ones. But I think this is one of the coolest phenotypes there is on ornates. It's these big, big, bold spots that you would see mm-hmm. in uh, like Texans and Mississippis. You know, they call like super Texans and whatnot. You don't see it a lot in ornates. Uh, I do think that's really, really great. But in general, I think they're, you know, overhyped up now. You know, they, I, they do you know, the flower back, which is gorgeous. But I was just going to say that. And, and you know, it's... It, I think that unfortunately that happens a lot and it's, and it's like what people do, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's even like, you know, Anthony and I, we, I, I always tease him. He always teases me and even other people I know with like some of the Asian turtles, like I really do love them. You know what I mean? Like I'm just making fun because of, of just how people just jaw hits the ground and the reddest Beretti or the reddest Japonica or this, that. And I was like, first of all, they're all beautiful. You know yeah. what I mean? We're not, this isn't ball pythons. We don't want it to be ball pythons, you know? And, and I, I'm with you on that. I think it, it there, or, you know, macrospilota, the ornate diamondback terrapin is a gorgeous animal, but I think sometimes the way people behave about it, it can, it can, it makes you like, yeah, you know, not, not now, not anymore, you know, for, for instance, so you can get a Northern diamondback terrapin, a hatchling for like 50, $60. Mm-hmm. You'd be hard pressed to find like an ornate like this for less than 500 as a hatchling, mm-hmm. you know, and why there, the same there animal. are big differences there are really big differences, but I, I would argue that diamondback terrapins are the ball pythons of the turtle world because with those phenotypes and how they all, they're all beautiful, but they all can differ. And if you breed them, you're going to get cool stuff. Whereas mm-hmm. if you breed, if you're breeding for albinism, that's a recessive gene and that's going to be less, it's going to be a little more difficult to produce unless you're going like, you know, with two, you're starting off with the two albinos from the beginning. Um, they're less likely to produce something cool and different than something that's like codom, like a, like a, um, like a ball Python um, morph. So I think that when people are first getting started, they see things like morphs, like albino radio sliders, which are really cool. Um, but when you're in this for a long time, you start to just roll your eyes a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I think diamondbacks are the same thing. There's a lot of people that don't know a lot about all of the different species of turtles that are really into diamondbacks. Not to say that's you, Kev, not to say that's anyone else, but I just think they're, they're treated a little more. Like if you look across the landscape of turtle related projects that you could be taking on, I do think that diamondback terrapins and the few turtle morphs that we have are most like that part of the snake community. But that's just my own opinion. So no, I mean, you know, let, let me know why I'm best. stupid in the comments. And no, it, it, it makes sense. You know, I mean, I think what, what, what's going on with red sliders, I mean, I, I've lost count of what they're doing with them now, you know, with, with the lime Rios and, and snoopshi snoopos and, and you know, whatever, but you know, some of these phenotypes, which are, they're natural, you know what I mean? They're like, they're incredible looking, you know, and, and we'll, it's funny because Casey and I actually get excited over the, like the classic ones, you know what I mean? The ones that mm-hmm. like when I was a kid and my grandmother would go to the fish market to buy dinner, dinner that night and she would rescue a diamondback terrapin from the food market, bring it home so that I could take care of it instead of, instead of it going to a soup pot, you know, and it just had the, light gray skin with the peppered markings all over it and the slate gray Mm -hmm. or black shell. And like, that's what I remember. So when we come across ones like that, when we're working, uh, in the field, 
we're like, oh, it's just more exciting to us than this like incredible looking concentric as we've dubbed them. You know what I mean? Which again, I, there's no argument. That they're all beautiful. You know. Agreed. Agreed. So, so Kev, when you're keeping them, uh, what's your process look like? What type of tubs are you using? Yeah. Su- so, substrate for egg laying, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Lighting. Can you pull up number five? You got it. Look at that. Right in order, huh? Yeah, yeah you did really good here. Wow. I skipped number four, actually. That's fine. That's number That's four. Fine. Fine, number four. That's 4B. That's a Texan, by the way. Nice to meet you, number two. You know? Yeah, so this is this is the way I keep them. Uh, it's very, very simple. It's just a 150-gallon Rubbermaid tub. Uh, sand on the bottom with oyster shells so they can chew on it if you know they're trying to maintain their, their mandibles. Um, I use a PVC bar across an egg crate to go up as a ramp. That way the, the egg laying section is much higher than the water level because terrapins and most turtles don't like to lay if the land is below the water level. Uh, so that's the way I do that there. Uh, there. On the other side of that is another 150-gallon tub, and I had this, you can't really see it very well, but it's this uh, HDX 55-gallon black tub in between them, and that's cut. Each side has an area that opens and a board going down the middle to separate the two areas. That allows me to just have one nesting box for both species, but they're divided. allows me to keep one light going over instead of two different lights to maintain uh, and just less space in the in my room. I have a very small room, so that's I need to maximize as much space as I can. And that's just the way I've always done it, like one plan each to give them a little sense of security. Mm. Uh, I probably should ramp it up a little bit. Uh, but that's Unintended. The way I keep them. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Pun intended. Yeah. Kev, are you yeah. uh, are you doing brackish water or fresh? I do brackish water. Yeah. You do brackish. So actually, I, You're a I actually gangster. changed. I'm sorry. Gangster. I called you a gangster. Yeah. Throughout the year, I change the salinity. Actually, um, when it's when it's summertime and uh, I can readily bring them out to feed in like fresh water, I keep more brackish. Um, I don't like to feed as much in the tubs. It just helps maintain everything a lot longer. Uh, I work a lot and I don't have a ton of time with two small kids. So the less maintenance I can do, the better. Um, and then in wintertime, I do uh, slightly more, less salinity so that it's I can feed if they are awake, you know, during certain times. Uh, if you look at the bottom right of the picture, you'll see this little black mass, whatever that is. That's actually a pool noodle that I have to put up on the sides of these things. Oh, yeah. uh, terrapins are amazing climbers, as a lot of turtles are. You know, I, nobody ever that doesn't keep turtles thinks that turtles can climb stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. Uh, but this terrapin that you actually see in there, the one that's kind of spread out across horizontally, that thing is an escape artist. I cannot tell you the amount of times he's climbed out of the tub and I've had to search around that room to find him. And it's an unfinished room, so I've literally like dug into my walls trying to find that turtle. Uh, mm-hmm. Even two days ago, he was just in the middle of the room. I don't know how he gets out. I truly cannot figure it out to this day. Uh, I need a set of cameras <laughs> on it further to figure it out so I can stop it. Um, but yeah, that's the way I keep them. And uh, for as far as incubation goes, I use hatch rate. Uh, it's a uh, readily available. You don't have to worry about any of the premixing of you know if you're doing vermiculite or perlite with water. Well, uh, the uh, uh, hatch rate basically is perlite. And uh, yeah, do so you um, yeah. now since you're doing brackish? Um, uh, you know, I'm guessing you're you're not really having any problems with skin or shell issues, fungus or or rot, or or do you still see I, some of that? I have I have uh, years ago I have um, Anthony put me onto a something we that's a hydro 
I forgot what it's chlorhexidine? called. Chlorhexidine? Yeah, excuse me. Yeah, chlorhexidine. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't pull the I'm sorry? Nolvasan is the um, brand oh, the, name. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I found that works amazing. Um, I got in a, an animal from uh, a gentleman out in California. Uh, he assured me it was captive bred, everything like that. It'd be fine in fresh water. Uh, after about a week in fresh water, the entire terrapin from like neck down was just fungus. Wow. Like, like really thick, like crusty fungus. Um, and then I... Anthony told me about chlorhexidine. I tried it out. Uh, and then within less than a week, animal was clear of the fungus. Wow. And then I brought it, I brought the salinity up in the enclosure that I was in um, and haven't had issues with it since. That's great. That is great. Yeah, yeah you'll so find that. So what's the key? Sorry. All three of us spoke at once. Go ahead, Kev. What's, you were saying what's the key? I was just going to say, so like um, – What's the enclosing? What is what is the main key that you would tell to aspiring diamondback terrapin keepers? Mm -hmm. uh, they are excellent swimmers, excellent swimmers. Even as hatchlings can be in deep water, but give them plenty of places to like rest from time to time. Uh, fake, you know, fake bamboo plants, and they work really well. Uh, keep the water very clean. You know, brackish, brackish water is not necessary for captive bred animals, not at all, but make sure that your water stays clean. You know, clean your filter out fairly regularly. Make sure the water isn't, if you can feed them outside of it, great. Uh, those are the main things that I would say if you're, you know, you want to have healthy animals. Um, when it, they're younger, I, yeah. Go ahead. I would say when they're younger, it's very easy to overfeed them. They'll yeah. grow to four inches in less than a year, which is pretty wild, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, but you might start seeing some shell deformities from that pyramid, you know? So I personally like to let them grow out. I have, I have some that are two years old that are not even four inches yet. Yeah. You know, grow, grow them slow, any species, yeah. right? no, but you're going to get fatty liver. Um, yeah. so, um, you, you mentioned real quick, I know we got to move on from this, but I, I just wanted to get this out there because I think a lot of people are curious about this when it comes to diamondback terrapins in captivity is brackish water, not necessary for captive born and bred animals that are born into fresh water. No, absolutely not. You don't need brackish water. Um, brackish water definitely helps if there's like a skin fungus issue, things like that to kind of help ease it off. Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't even have to be a permanent thing. You know, it is where you find them in nature. They're in estuaries, but you got to keep in mind the salinity changes over time. You know, when the river's coming in, that salinity drops. Mm -hmm. You know, when it goes out, it comes back up. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they found terrapins up rivers in fresh water completely eating, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, well, they will consume. They'll consume more in in, in when they're in fresh water. They'll eat more. When they're when the when the salinity is higher, they consume less. Thank you to my wife for teaching me that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know the name of the gland, but they you might know this. Uh, they have a gland in their eyes that allows them to secrete salt. Right. So they can actually ingest salt water and drink it, uh, and then excrete the excess salt out of their eyes. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the name of the gland though. Very cool. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Thank you, Kip. You got it. Who's next, Steve? <clears throat> me or you, buddy? Doesn't matter to me. All right, I can go. We can leave you for okay. last. I mean, you're I like could, a special add-on. Keep, but, keep the you know. the best for last. Well, yeah, because you're going to be like a wealth of knowledge on what we're <laughs> going to talk about. So I know, I know. I'll go quick. I'll go quick. I promise, I won't bore everybody. No, this is a good Sounds one. Likely. This is a good one. 
It's, and people are not going to expect this one, I don't think. Not for you. No? I don't okay. think so. All right. I like it. Well, Chris chose it. So um, I'll be talking about the striped mud turtle and particularly the um, Everglades striped mud turtle, which is not a different species. Um, there was research in like the 50s that called it a subspecies, um, but then that was um, later. Debunked. Yeah, I don't know if it was actually debunked, though. It was allegedly debunked. I, I do feel like they're different, but... Was it tentatively um, rejected, possibly? It was a long time ago, and okay. there was some some um, there was some some DNA uh, based research that had proven that there wasn't enough um, variation across the range of striped mud turtles. But I didn't see anything that had like an Everglades locale that was involved in that. So it's just like they uh, were just like forgotten and then not included. Mm -hmm. That was my take anyway. But I just want to be full disclaimer: I am not a striped mud turtle expert. I'm just an enthusiast, if that makes sense. So um, in 2012, January 2012, my father passed away. He was like my best friend. And it was a really rough time for me. And of course, I did what any self-respecting adult does. And I bought turtles to fill the void in my and, life. And you joined the turtle room. Um, <laughs> that's right. And I joined the turtle room. Sure. Sure. I'd like to think that I was there all along, though, Steve. Yeah. Um, so... The um, the the project because I I remember just having like no money at that time and the project that I decided to acquire like I had to pinch pennies and scrounge together the money to get a group of striped mud turtles and um, I got them from Paul Vanderskow who is a, a wonderful resource and wealth of knowledge who's helped everyone here at one point or another uh, really great guy and. Um, yeah, they were the they were the first species that I had bred in several years at that point, which was awesome. And um, I really enjoyed them. And then I ended up letting them go at one point, um, just striped mud turtles in general at one point because um, I had a bunch of other stuff going on and I was breeding them readily. And even though they're really small and don't take up much, much space, I felt like I could use the space for other things and the resources and time and energy and everything else. Well, I have them again, but I have a specific locale of striped mud turtles, which is the Everglades, lo Everglades locale, um, which is smaller. Uh, the adult size is, is smaller. They're very small turtles. So we're talking about big adult females that are um, topping out around three inches, maybe a hair over three inches. Um, and, uh, they're, they're usually lighter in color. So we could just go through the pictures. That's, that's the habitat. It's a small waterland tub for a breeding group, which is, um, awesome. And, uh, they do really well. Um, sometimes with, with striped mud turtles, you'll see the females on land a little bit. Sometimes I like to give, I only have one male. Sometimes I like to give the male a timeout and then move the females back. You'll see a lot of times um, the females will get, uh, will like bleed on their posterior marginal scutes around the rim of the carapace because they're getting bit by the male. That doesn't happen with my group, but it happened in past years with groups that I kept. Um, this is a hatchling. You could just start to see the coloration is changing a little bit as it grows. So it gets a little grayer, a little lighter. Those are the adult females. So that's three 
old adult females in my hand. Um, they're very small turtles. I think the next picture is a female. Uh, nope, I lied. <laughs> we can just go through the eggs. Um, that's okay. The, the eggs, the eggs are interesting too, Steve. That's okay. We can go back to the eggs. So um, they're usually really tough to tell if they're fertile. These two eggs that I have incubating right now, banded. You could see the one at the top, yeah, and the one furthest to the right. I've never seen a striped mud, mud turtle egg band before. Normally, it's really difficult for me to tell if they're fertile or not. Um, but these banded, and then, of course, the band is now gone already. But pretty good sign to see them band that quickly. <clears throat> so um, they're great. Obviously, they're just like normal striped mud turtles, but they have a really cool coloration. Uh, Steve, there's a couple other pictures of like yellow ones in there that I'd love to show if you could find those ones. So the very the, this Everglades locale is usually lighter. You'll see people saying like blonde striped mud turtles, but these ones are even blonder, more goldener. Give me a second. Are you? Yeah, no problem at all. Are you aware of any um, var variation within the Everglades population? Like, are there lo larger animals? Like there, as far as I know, there's no larger animals, but okay. there's a lot of variation in terms of coloration. And and Steve will show a couple pictures that will just knock your socks off of of animals from the Everglades locale. Now everyone's going to be running down there trying to get. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um. Oh yeah. There you go. So that's a that's a striped mud turtle from um, South Florida, and we're not talking about the Keys striped mud turtle. Um, which is dark but different, and was protected at one point, and no so they're dark. Is. They're they're darker. They're uh, are they darker than the average striped mud turtle, like the ones that I have? I think so. And then when you get north, uh, more to the more northern part of the range, um, like in Virginia, then they lose the stripes. They're just a dark turtle that that doesn't have the stripes as much. So that's my understanding. Again, I'm not a striped mud turtle expert. Right. I've just bred them for years, and I really enjoy them a lot. They have a special place in my heart because of how I got started with them and when. And there's nothing cooler than hatching a turtle that's you know the size of your pinky thumb, your pinky sure. uh, fingernail. What uh, what yeah. what what are you seeing in reproduction with them? And is there any difference co then compared to the more standard forms? Um, reproduction in which way? As far as like production, you know, uh, egg laying frequency, clutch sizes, fertility, just the, the clutch. The clutch sizes are smaller. I usually get one egg at a time, sometimes two. Wow. Um, they, they, they're pretty much the same beside that. So incubation is pretty straightforward. The eggs take a little longer than you might expect. Sometimes like 100, 110, 120 days. Mm. Um, they, the, the breeding is the same, although I don't see as much of the biting from the male um as i did in in groups that i kept in the past and um you know the eggs are always a mystery they, they don't band they don't necessarily chalk sometimes you think oh that egg's dead and then it hatches and then other times you're like oh this one looks pretty good and it doesn't and you so it's just it's weird to not be able to get a handle on it when you look at things like i don't know a chinese box turtle egg or something like that even a tortoise egg like i feel like after you've done it a couple of times, it's just so easy to know when something's looking really good and when something's not. With these yeah. guys, I just can't I can't put a finger on it. I've been hatching them now for it's been eight years. Huh. So yeah. Well, I love it. Kevin's talking, but he's on mute. 
Is he? You are a professional. <laughs> Turn your microphone on. I'm very sorry. Smooth. Right. So right. I, have, I have a question for you. Yeah. Uh, you had said that uh, you don't see the aggression in the males that you saw with like the non ever you ever really locale, right? Locale. I do. I think I do see it because you still get the females. So so if I don't see any aggression, but I see a female hanging out on land who's mm-hmm. not gravid for several days, mm-hmm. then. I assume that it's male aggression. Okay. I could palpate these too, by the way. Three three inch turtle. I could palpate them and see if there's if they have two eggs. Use your pinky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very proud of that. That's how I have to palpate the spotted turtles and some and, yeah. and you, it doesn't even work with some of them. It's, it's just yeah. impossible. Yeah. I palpated a couple spangler eye today too and felt eggs. Okay. So that's wow. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, I'm very proud of my palpating skills. If there's something like Everyone's got their thing. I think I'm very good at palpation for, it's not for eggs. It's not Steve's thing. No, it's not. It's not. I give <laughs> no, him a hard time about no, that all the time. No, it's definitely not my thing. <laughs> Kev, you didn't get to the second part of your question or the actual question, right? Uh, yeah. So you kind of answered a little bit based off of uh, your response. Um, I had thought you said you didn't really see any aggression at all besides, and I didn't really factor in the females on land. So I was going to say was if you didn't see the aggression, you know, do you feel like that's indicative of, uh, like the locale or just your specific animals that you have? I think it's more just my situation. It could be the enclosure. They have a lot of hiding spots. It could just be luck of the draw with the actual animals. I don't think it's a locality thing. Okay. But, uh, I, you know, I'm really, really big on male timeouts. So uh, um, Quangtung, River Turtles, um, Maremi's Iversoni, uh, Reeves Turtles, um countless amount of species that I keep where I have a, an outside tub dedicated just for the male where I will literally just take him for two days, three days, four days at a time and take him away from the group. I think I've mentioned that on the podcast before, just to try to give the females a break because certain species, like Chris mentioned spotted turtles, certain species, the males are just relentless. And if you're not keeping them in a large, really, really large enclosure, then you have to give those females a break from the males. So we can end with that. Thank you. Cool. Striped mud turtles, everyone. Great species to work with. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Really cool to breed. Just just be ready for the aggression. Yeah. Thank hey, you. But a lot of, and real quick, for people that want to work with them, is that like a species that's readily available? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think they uh, used striped... to be more so they used to be, but you don't see them too much now. But you have to understand that when you're seeing adults, most of the time they're wild caught. Well, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not even talking about. I'm talking about like legit captive bred babies that like some of you that someone like you would have, you know, available. You don't. You don't seem to see that too often, you know. Anyway. Yeah, they're not bred as much as you think they would be. But I think they're, they're. I think it's partly because they're so underrated, you know. And that's what that is why I wanted to pick this for you to talk about because you know I, I think they're again they're just one of those you know. Under, you know, I, and I think we did this really well here, and especially with what we're about to get to with Steve. You know, we talked about Yuanoi, which is really obscure, a rare species that no, none of us understand really. Diamondback terrapins, which are just so unbelievably popular. I mean, I've never met a person that doesn't love them. And then something, <laughs> so, something like you know, Kino Stern and Bowerai. You know, uh, the, the the striped mud turtle that is, uh, you know, it's another one of those underdogs that deserves more attention. You know, right. Right. So there you have it. There you have it. Let's so move along right. so that we are not here all night. Yeah. Steve-o. Steve-o. All Esteban. Right. Where do you want me to start, dudes? Well, uh, dude. Well, we could start by saying that Steve knows more about map turtles than map turtles know about themselves. 
That's right. That's 100% true. <laughs> Map turtles have a lot of champions, though. They like, do. Some... like, I feel like, Steve, if, if you wanted to know that much, if you knew as much as you did about Cyclamis, the Asian leaf turtles we talked about earlier, then you'd be like the Cyclamis right. guy. But yeah. you, you picked map turtles, so you're just like one of They're... several really, really well-versed yeah. Pun intended. I, I, would, I, I, would, I would vote for Steve, though. Yeah, you know, there's there, he's there's number one in our There's hearts. a lot of guys who have a lot of uh, field expertise with them, and there's a lot of guys who have uh, lots of captive husbandry expertise of them. Um, a guy who I've been talking with a lot over the past several years is Chris Leshowitz, who owns the graptimist.com website. He has field experience and captive experience with them. And he's had a lot of success breeding as well. So um, he and I send photos to each other all the time. So cool. Cool. Yeah. So, so you keep them, you lots, do a lot more with them. It's funny because you do a lot more with them in captivity than you do in the wild, even right. though you do in situ work, you just happen to not do that with graptimus. So, right, cause there aren't, um, tell us a, a little bit about your... around here. Really? You know, there's the Northerns, but yeah, you know, they're common in PA. Right. I love Northern map oh, turtles, they're cool. by the way. They are cool. Mm -hmm. A map turtle was our first, uh, first ever like exotic turtle that we had in our home. You know? I remember those days, but when, like, you, you know, everything would be a readyard slider from like Petland discount yeah. city. And then all of a sudden you would get it like a false map turtle or a Mississippi map turtle. And you'd be like, what is that? Like, what, right. That pattern. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, Steve, so start, awesome. start by, I, I don't think I know this about you. What, what it, can you pick a favorite map turtle, a favorite Graptimus? Oh, oh, I like that. You have so, to. You have to. I, you know, I can't, like, I can't you know, pick one, but I can tell you <laughs> at, at one point, like, and this was before I had them. At one point, like, rings were my favorite. And I was like, I'm never going to have them, but they were my favorite. Um, I love, love, love my Barber's Map Turtles. Like, I, I absolutely crazy about my Barber's Map Turtles. There's something about them and, and that... I don't know exactly what it is, but the, the, I'm really proud of, of the group I've got. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping maybe I, f I get some eggs this year. The females are getting to be that size. Uh, some eggs were dropped in a, in the water within the last year and a half or so. Um, so I'm hopeful I get some good eggs from them this year. I've got three females that should all be laying size. I've got two adult males in there with them. So uh, I'm hoping this year might be the year, but I'll just have to wait and see. Okay. How many different uh, map turtle species do you keep? Right now I have three of the five broadheads, all three of the sawbacks plus um, a, uh, the Lake Hamilton uh, locale of Wachitensis, and I also have the Texas map turtle Graptimus versa. Awesome. Now, these so are groups. Or you have individual, like, um, individual they're so. the only one. Uh, actually, uh, there are two where I have individuals. The first one would be the um, the Lake Hamilton. I have one. Uh, he'll be, uh, I guess two uh, later this year a male and then i have a uh, almost year old pearl river map turtle 
Oh, okay. But you've got some big groups too, I, like I like do. the the yellow blotch, the yellow blotch maps. Uh, who would have thought that would have been those? the one that I end up with the I most know. of? Because you can't <laughs> buy them, whatever. But just a, a perfect storm of things has ended up. Uh, we've got sixteen yellow blotch map turtles here, um, which is is just kind of crazy <laughs> wow. in some respects. So I would have it's never crazy in a lot of respects. Would have never expected. Now they're that. In, they're in ESA species, right? They yes. are. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Them, them so, so just so like everyone knows, yeah, they have to be gifted. Yeah. So just so everyone knows, and I <laughs> saw that Kevin just spilled on himself. <laughs> that was What's classic, that? Oh, dude? <laughs> I thought you were a seltzer expert. Yeah. Uh, so not drinking it. Just so everyone knows that the ESA that Kevin is talking about is the Endangered Species Act, which is federal legislation that lists endangered species that cannot be sold across state lines. There are CBW permits that are increasingly more difficult to and get. And even when they were easier to get, they weren't easy to natives get for natives. Natives are not, natives are not yeah, put on permits. Not, uh, yeah. Why couldn't you let me finish that? You made it sound like I didn't know that. Uh, I was sorry. trying to set it up. I, I, my That's bad. Okay. I love my bad. Anthony, give somebody else a chance to sound smart, man. I, I was. That was my one chance the whole show to sound smart. <laughs> I've had several points where I've lost, had a loss hey, for talk words. About, talking about mud turtles. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> Gee, Louie. So, those okay. little muds are cool, though. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if the two of you were, if Kevin, and if you and Anthony were smart, you could have brought up the fact that mud turtles and diamondbacks actually can occur together, but you didn't. So. No, we didn't. Right. I haven't seen them occur together. Hey, all right, back to Graptimus, and they do. We'll yeah. prove it next time you're here. Yeah. Huh? All right, I got a, I got a question for okay. you. Okay, let's go. Question. Uh, I'm going to tie it into Dimebacks. They're closely related, yeah. correct? Yeah, I would. They're they're for, for, taxonomically, they're probably closer than any other emidids to each other. And now, is that something where you feel like there was a, a common ancestor? And they it, evolved differently. Could it, I, I'm guessing that'd be the case, but I don't know the uh, I don't know some of the evolutionary history that far back as well. Mm -hmm. um, uh, with some of the genetic work being done. Um, there's even a lot of look about just how ancient the northern maps are in comparison to all the rest of them, too. So, but now, Steve, you um, with Pennsylvania state laws, you can you have northern uh, maps or one no? per person? Oh, okay. So there's they still allow that. Right, but again, it's it's a one per person kind of thing. It's uh, very you know that's a, with any of the native species. That's actually the most you can have is one per person of any now, native species. Is it like Florida with certain laws, like one per person per household, or like you and Lisa could have one northern and that's it? No, one per person, yeah. Per so like okay. we could have two theoretically, but then the second they'd make babies, I'd be, you know, over the limit, so to speak. So right. Mm -hmm. Have you thought of getting foster children just so that you can have more northern map turtles? <laughs> <laughs> no, that has not been considered. I don't think that would be a a, a top tier reason for that. Just saying. <laughs> just something to think about. So my knowledge on Grubtemis is very weak. I can say it's definitely probably the worst in this grouping. Um, how common are they in Pennsylvania and throughout? Um, so northern map turtles are considered non-threatened in the state. That's why they have a limit of one as opposed to zero. Mm -hmm. um, they occur pretty heavily in the Susquehanna River drainage and up into the Juniata River. And I think there's been some that are out in the... Um, 
as where the Ohio comes in. Um, they are in the Delaware in certain spots, um, but like the ones in New Jersey, those are believed to have like moved there somehow through canal systems or some other other way, um, and aren't necessarily considered to be like native to those areas. But one thing, one thing I didn't want to do with the Graptomist talk. Yeah. Was to get to this is what happens with map turtles time. every time is we talk about this river and its drainage and this river and its tributaries and how where this species is separated from this species and how you get around a bend in the river and then it changes species that you'll see. That's that's what the map turtle talk goes all the time. So I'm going to talk to a map turtle breeder keeper about how you're trying to accomplish yeah. that. So, so yeah. enclosures you know what's been a key for you what are you excited about right now with your keeping approach that sort yeah, of thing i'm gonna i'm gonna to pop up to some there. images of habitats here let's do I it i collected a bunch of pictures today of current uh condition of some of these um so one of the things you can notice i actually use this uh clear polycarbonate around it enables me to fill up the water higher uh so the turtles can't climb out it also keeps splashes from ending up on the floors often um, i actually just cleaned that today before i took these pictures so they'd look a little nicer um you can see the natural log for basking uh they use it a ton um this is the the barbers and rings uh tank you're looking at um, they pretty much all hide in the back corner under that log. Most of the time, the males and the female ring spend the most amount of time on the basking area of any of the turtles in the habitat. Um, you can see the custom, uh, filtration intakes and outtakes, but I'm using Rena filters. Um, I find them really easy to use. They're, um, versatile for media and, um, anyway, uh, this is uh, a nesting box. They're all custom built. You can see the hinge in the upper right hand corner uh, or the latch so I can fold it down. It's easier to dig in there for eggs. Um, the next couple pictures are of the yellow blotched uh, tank where I've started making some modifications due to nesting shyness. Um, actually not quite there yet. So this one is actually, you can see this one tank buried in another room. The fact that it's buried in another room means I might not have to do some of the things I'm doing to the yellow blotch tank. Um, these turtles don't scare very well because they don't see me as I come into the main room. Um, and actually, one of the Texas maps laid eggs um, for me a few weeks ago, but they were infertile. So um, hoping to uh, wait another year for those. I really could use another male. Um, Texas are notorious for needing multiple males, uh, to successfully breed and considering that wild sex ratios lean heavy towards male, uh, it's no real surprise in that case here. So interesting. He, Can I just hit you with a sidebar yeah, yeah. real quick at the last photo? Actually, it's in this photo too. It's been in like almost every photo. You have a towel rod oh, yeah. hanging for every single enclosure, which I think is so cool because you're washing your hands between enclosures. Drying them at least. Yeah. I'm drying them but off. But when you're drying them, the, the, if you have a dedicated towel for each enclosure, then you're not mixing it around and wiping your hands on the same towel all the time and, and what have yeah, you. I think it's really cool. Yeah. And with the maps, I don't get quite that into that because I do shuffle them around to separate males and females from time to time. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, I do pay attention to that more when I'm going from like Cicalia to Graptomus, though of course so yeah. and that, I, it's a cool 
it's a, it's a cool idea for those who are thinking about that. Yeah. And and don't want to use a million paper towels or right. drip water like, all like over me. the place. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's really Yeah, cool. so that's that's one of those there silly utilitarian um uh, things in the room. I have paper towels available too over by the sink, but I also have another rack above where I can hang three or four um, towels over the sink to, to use as well. I have a whole, I have like uh, two shelves full of towels or something like that. I have a ton of them. Um, so this is the yellow blotch tank from the human side. Um, they laid the one female dropped eggs in the water. I did retrieve them. One of them looks good. The other, not so much. But talking with Chris Leshowitz and some others, um, it's maps can be really finicky for laying. Sometimes they want more privacy. So um, I actually added these vines uh, since last Tuesday. Uh, the, I found the eggs in the water last Tuesday. I added these vines on, I think it might have been Friday morning. I can't remember. And then later that day, um, I found an egg. Um, now it was still wasn't buried, but she actually laid it on top of the nesting area. And that one looks like it's fertile. Mm -hmm. So, um, I've got hopefully two fertile yellow blotched eggs. Um, wonderful. So here's the inside view. You can see how the vines created, uh, some more privacy, um, for them. I'm also going to be adding a couple plants to the corners here. Like Kevin was talking about with his diamondbacks as just another little thing to help with privacy in there. Uh, those were supposed to arrive today, but didn't, I was actually hoping I'd stick them in there before I took these pictures, but didn't happen. Mm -hmm. The Ivy, is that real or fake? It's fake. Yeah. It's, I, I bought, have you ever thought about using, sorry, no, I, I was just gonna say, I bought it on Amazon. Okay. Have you ever thought about using something like Pothos that'll continue to grow? You'd be able to use uh, different closures um, as well as kind of having it in the right. water. So take up some of those nitrates. So, um, the one thing is with where this is, I want to be able to move it frequently to access that nesting area and whatever. So I figured going with something fake that it wouldn't matter if I kind of, you know, have to have Nest to mess it. with it a lot um, would do the trick. Um, and while I have plenty of pothos we could plant, um, I'd just be concerned that if they do traipse around the basking area or something, they'd end up getting destroyed. Mm -hmm. I've had Spengleri destroy pothos because of how much they've run over it. So, yeah. you know, and that's a small turtle. Yeah. And these girl, these girls are eight times that size, you know, so or more. So it's frustrating that they, you know, they, 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 you know, they're still doing that in the in the water, you know, like when you told me that that you were finding the eggs from them in the water, that's exactly what I had experienced with them, um, and they had the same exact, you know, similar to this same same type of nesting area that the Diamondbacks did, and the Diamondbacks had no right. problem using it, you know, uh, but they don't. They're finicky, right. like you said. Yeah, and that's why I'm trying to tweak some of the privacy things there. Um, like, and I, I've kind of done some tests with it. Like, I made it to their tank without them jumping off. Um, they couldn't see me with the vines. Um, so, or certainly not as well. So I'm hopeful that that helps in the long run. Um, I'm probably going to need to do this to the barbers and rings next to it. I'm expecting cause, just because of how open that one is because of its position in the room, but... Uh, one day at a time. Um, you can see an overhead shot of that enclosure. You can see all the plants. Um, like Kevin was talking about, he uses oyster shell. I have some of that. I also have crushed coral in there. Same reason. Diamondbacks and maps both need to have that high calcium thing to, to chew on or whatever else. Um, 
there's a, you can see the female that laid the three eggs there, um, hanging out in the water. She's just sitting there. Um, there, I took a shot of the output. You can see uh, one, uh, I have this jet I created, um, that creates, uh, some ripples on the water and breaks its surface tension, helps oxygenate the water as well. So it's part of my filtration design. Cool. Uh, I got a couple questions from the chat that are pretty yeah, good. Yeah, let's go for it. Nice. So one is from our buddy uh, who Anthony is repping, Jeremy Thompson. Yeah. And uh, what is a normal clutch size for Max? Um, it really depends on the species. Um, Maybe an average then? So some of them will are closer to like three to five, whereas like northern maps and and even I've even some of the eventually some of the broadheads as they get to be experienced layers will probably get um, you know above six I would guess but I don't have a really good number for that partly just because there's there's um you know, 14 different recognized species, 15 if you recognize, if you talk about subspecies. Um, so, there, you know, lots of variation. Okay, cool. Um, What's the other question, Cap? Uh, so I'll save that. You'll save it for the okay. mailbag? Oh, all right. You're going to save it? You're going to save it for the mailbag? All right. Yeah, because it could be for all of us, so. Okay. So do we want to go for the mailbag now, or Steve, oh, do you have something that's I, pressing? I that was you just going to, you had told me to, to, oh, to show off some pretty shells, so I, I whipped up yeah, some of those pictures. You should. Um, this is one of my barber's map turtles. Um, uh, she's, uh, she'll be about 10 years old this year. Um, smooth growth. Um, like Kevin was talking about, there's no reason to rush them. Like he was talking about with Diamondbacks, just be patient. You know, they'll get there and they'll look a whole lot better and be a lot healthier. Um, mm. You kind of see that chin mark that's really a uh, trademark for them on the chin strap uh, side view of that turtle. I have a million pictures in here. So um... <laughs> <laughs> that's a beautiful turtle. Though. There's a Delta male, a um, couple of those. Uh, can't talk about maps without showing off the ring maps um that's one of the one of the so males crazy. uh oh wait a minute what happened to all the other pictures apparently went back to the beginning apparently so, huh? it didn't load all my pictures in there so um i'm gonna try to fix that here but i'll try to run you know you're gonna try to fix it right now no, nope, it, that's the, apparently the, all the, it's given that, me. Maybe it has a limit in the system the, that I wasn't aware about. But, look at how, look, just look at how perfect those rings are, though. It's crazy. You know? It's like you just drew them, you know. And it's, there's so many species that have such, you know, intricate markings like that, and and, and you know the, the symmetry and everything is. It, I mean, you know, anybody listening to this understands what I'm saying. It, it's just incredible, you know. Yeah. To see stuff like that on a wild animal. That's a, that's wild. Or a living animal, you know. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought I had a, was able to get it into another picture in there, but something, I don't know. Anyway, so, uh, and one last picture, then I'll toss the eggs up here. Cool. And there's the, there's the three of them. I think there's one on the left yeah, is a dud. Yeah, totally see the difference. And I think yeah, the two totally on, on the, the right are there. good. The one on the far right. That's encouraging. The one on the far right is the one she dropped on the, uh, dropped on the nesting area the other day, so. That's really encouraging to see right. the juxtaposition of the the infertile versus the ca yeah. calcified eggs yeah. that are hopefully fertile. Really great. 
Now, is this her first time laying? No, she's, well, I don't know. Chris, do you know which of those females dropped the eggs for you before or not? They both did. Okay. Um, they both did. And I remember some of them, I didn't, uh, I didn't get to them on time. Um, but I believe that the ones that hatched were from the smaller female. That's where these three um, eggs are from. Yeah. And I'm not a hundred percent on that, but the, from what I remember and just how the finding the eggs, I, I do believe it was her. Okay. Let's uh, get, through, let's, let's get started with our, um, our features. And first one would be the mailbag. Minto's mailbag. There it is. There <laughs> it is. We are going to get through them as fast as we can tonight because yeah. time is already of the essence. So first so Kev, of all, I want to apologize that you have to see this and an animated version of it in one show. <laughs> so I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this question is from Cole Shram. Uh, Shram, excuse me. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. If I am. Tell me, or if I'm not, tell me I'm an idiot. Uh, oh, call him an idiot. Call him an idiot. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Regardless, call him an idiot. Uh, do you guys use a solar meter for UVB when keeping turtles indoors? I do sometimes. I have not. Um, it's one of those things where the bulbs are expensive enough that, and, and you know, uh, to replace them multiple times a year can kind of be a bit much. So, um, I just replace them kind of at the beginning of summer every year. And then turtles would normally get less UVB by the winter and the early spring anyway. So that's kind of, I don't work, you know, it's kind of the way I, I roll with it, but for anybody who's curious, that's what they look like. And that's what they look like when they're not working. <laughs> batteries, the, the batteries the batteries are dead everybody's outside everybody's been outside for a while oh, so you know classic <laughs> i've never used uh, it. you know what here's something that um i've i've been told in the past uh that i really found interesting because a lot of people don't understand it as far as uv goes if you have in your opinion on this uh if you have a turtle outside all summer long right do you need to provide uvb for it throughout the winter indoors i feel that you don't but, I think it depends on the species, but I'll usually lean towards no on that. Okay. Yeah, I, I think tortoises are a very big indicator with that um, because of their marriage to the sun. Most species, I mean, obviously you have plenty of forest species, which that is not the case with. Um, but, uh, I mean, all the years that I've done it, um, I've chosen to stop using UV indoors. Um, again, you know, a lot of my tortoise collection is asleep in the winter, but... Um, I found that there's just no, you know, so far going on 30 years, no long-term benefit um, or long-term ill effects from not using it. Yeah. Okay. If they're outside, you know, and I, I mean, we're talking about they're outside, you know, on a, on a normal year, they're outside. Um, I'm talking about exotic species too. Um, you know, take radiated tortoises, for example, you know, they're, they're uh, in a normal year, they are outside from April to November. This year they had to go out in May because we had a bad spring. Um, but even still, they're, they're, I'm not going to give them UVB when they come back in, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I think there, there's, there's going to, there's probably going to be plenty of evidence out there for the, if you do give it that it probably benefits them. But the reality I think is naturalistically speaking, um, some species don't get a lot of UVB. Take a, a take a tropical forest turtle or tortoise that lives under a big canopy of leaves all year long. 
You know, mm-hmm. they're just not going to get a whole lot of UVB naturally. Might it benefit them to get it in captivity? Yeah, it might. But well, take a, take a look at uh, you know, one of the biggest misconceptions in raising baby turtles lies with box turtles. People were killing box turtles accidentally and raising them to look like complete disasters because they were keeping them in fully lit terrariums or fish tanks or Rubbermaid containers with this strong UVB lighting and they were drying out. What does a baby box turtle do? Yeah. Any, any of the species of box turtle, when they hatch, they head right undercover and they are spending 90 plus percent of their time yeah. underneath leaf litter, dirt, sand, what have you. They're only exposing themselves for just enough time so that they can develop enough of an appetite to eat what they need to eat. And then and they're instinctively programmed to go right back underneath. And half the bugs are going to eat are under the cover too. Yeah, you're right. They don't even have to move really if they if they want to eat, you know, a, a little earthworm or a slug or anything. You know, it's right there for them. So, right. that was a good. So question. that ties into a question we just got asked: uh, What are your opinions on hatchling, hatchlings' need for UV? So that pretty much answers that right Again, there. It very much depends. But it on depends. The species. Right. Yeah. Right. A hatchling tortoise or a a hatchling painted turtle or hatchling mm-hmm. slider is much different than there you go, or, yeah. or a or an Indian spotted pond turtle Hamiltoni. That that's much different than a hatchling box turtle, whether right. it's Asian and or North American box turtle. Steve, you had brought up too in the past too some of these uh, high quality commercial diets with the vitamin D three content in them uh, is also benefiting the turtles. Yep. You know, which may subside the need for such strong UVB. It's possible. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, makes sense. All right, so that's what I have from the that's what I have from the mailbag. Awesome. So let's 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 try to rapid fire this a little bit. We've we've only gone rapid fire on on everything. Where are we going to next? Once once in the past. So we're gonna go uh, to pit and peak next. Okay, we could do the same uh, rotation that we did to start, so that you know, Steve, ahead of time what the rotation is going to be, because you have the difficult job of grabbing the photos for us. So that's. Right, so, so we're not going to time pit and peak, but it should be very fast. Why don't we do 30 okay. seconds for pit and 30 seconds for peak? So you get a minute total. We can do it, but he won't have the timer up. You're going to get Steve all verklempt and, and, and upset this. if you try to get this stuff. on screen. Oh, jeez. We're better than that, Kev. We're better, we're better than that now. We have Steve. We can, you know? we can, we can keep it quick. We yeah. can keep it. All right. Yeah. So, Chris, you're yeah. up. Oh, uh, damn it. Where, you started <laughs> with, says, you started with peak or pit. Um, I'll, I'll start with, um, I'll start with my peak. Go ahead. There you go. All right. So my peak, what I've labeled this as is taking chances. I have started to house certain species outdoors here in Southern coastal New Jersey that some people would think is crazy of me to do, but I have spent enough time here and I've lived my whole life in this state to understand that there are certain benefits during certain times of the year. And that for a lot of species, even if something is what is otherwise considered uh, very sensitive, the Egyptian tortoise, Testudo klein mani, uh, to not be housed outdoors. But I started yes- last year experimenting with housing hatchlings, juveniles, and adults outside here. Uh, and they did fantastic, phenomenal. They were outside for about two and a half months. So I decided to fully move them outdoors this season. There are There's a hatchling. There are several juveniles and several adults outside now in a very carefully planned pen that is fully secure, decorated with all kinds of things that aim at their habitat. We have a coastal influence here, so they get that oceanic morning mist, which quickly dries up. It gets very hot. They are in full sun at all times. They have a cold frame so that they can thermoregulate if needed. 
And I'm happy to report that they're doing great. And they're not the only species that I'm doing this with. So that is something that so far I'm succeeding with is taking chances, which is a little bit outside the box for me because I've always known what species will do well here, primarily outdoors. But uh, this is starting to open up some doors for me. All right. And your pet. Uh, I have been missing nests, um, which I always... uh, really prided myself on not doing, but, uh, I've also never been a daddy of two. So, uh, and I, and my wife is so married to the Terrapin conservation initiative that it, uh, it gets a little bit tough, um, for us to do this, but I'm still making sure that I'm around for, I'd say 90% of the nest I have managed to safely collect and get into artificial incubation. But this is a Blanding's turtle. And the reason I used her as an example is these turtles typically start around now and they don't fully um, get rid of the, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, deposit their eggs and finish nesting until the wee hours of the morning sometimes. So you can imagine how tired I am and uh, how sometimes I don't get out there. And then if I don't see them do it, I don't, or if I don't think to look at the camera, I don't see it happen, and I just have to hope that the turtles safely hatch in the enclosure and don't get eaten by the adults. So, uh, you know, that's my current fail is that I have missed uh, a few more nests than I'd like to admit this year. But we'll see. Maybe we'll have some hatchlings at the end of the season, and we'll report on that. Awesome. Awesome, man. Good time, too. Yeah, oh, yeah? Okay, good. All right, Kev, you're up. All right, so I'm going to start with my, uh, my pit, uh, which was my – hit from last two weeks ago actually kind of tied in tying this up and closed it out unfortunately uh i had said that i had a, a predator that wasn't taking anything uh but i knew it was there because there was damage to the enclosure you know um the literally the next day uh anthony got a call from me uh, i was i was very upset actually uh i moved the animal that was in that enclosure to what i what i thought was a much much more protective area for the time being until i could fix it and the next day, the animal struck and took that turtle from me uh, inside that enclosure. Um, I'm almost positive it was a, uh, a great, great blue heron uh, that we have right by us. Uh, I have multiple pictures and videos of them in my yard. I've seen babies taking bowls out of the ground and flying onto my, my shed and eating them in front of me. Uh, they're not scared of humans. They just they don't care. Uh, I mean, if I get within 10 feet of it, they'll fly away. But. They're not worried about being in my yard, just taking stuff, I guess. Uh, so I've start I've started working on making more more things uh, protective uh, over over my three toed enclosure, which is completely open. It's fairly large; it's like um, roughly like fifteen by twenty, I would say. Uh, I'm going to be hanging a line across it, forward and back, kind of a mismatch pattern, you know, so that as the bird comes down, it'll kind of hopefully hit it and leave. Um, but that was definitely my pit. I was very sad to have that animal taken, uh, specifically because I didn't learn from my mistake. The same thing happened three years ago, uh, before I started using lids on these enclosures out there. So that's my pit guys. Unfortunately it happens. And, uh, Anthony made me feel a lot better about it, but he does that. Yeah. But protect your animals as much as you can. Uh, now for the peak. Uh, so I take, the second week off in June each year uh, for a vacation. And that sole reason is because that's the busiest uh, nesting time for turtles here in Connecticut that I find anyway, uh, this at my local spot. And it's, it's been a really cool week. So as you see this picture here, this was just a young female uh, common staffing turtle. Uh, she had just abandoned a nest um, right on the mulch that you see right behind there. And uh, 
she was not happy that I was picking her up, but I wanted to take the photo and I wanted my daughters to see the animal a little bit more up close where I was in control of it versus them just kind of like walking near that, that turtle. Um, so that is one of them. Uh, if you switch to, there's four photos for that for the peak, Steve, if you want to rotate yep. through them real quick. Uh, I caught a baby rabbit somehow. I was just, I was walking, looking around for box turtles and uh, I just looked down and it was at my feet and I just bent over and picked it up. Picked it up, excuse me. It's, I've never held a wild rabbit before, and it just started screaming bloody murder. Like, I didn't know they can make these noises. <laughs> can you give uh, us uh, a, uh, can you give us an example of what oh, the... Oh, you uh... got it, yeah. It was just like, ah, 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 you know, just like insane, <laughs> you know? Uh, afterwards, I called my wife. I'm like, you won't believe what just happened. And I sent her the picture. She's like, oh, it's probably dead now. And I'm like, what? Yeah. I'm like, I'm like that sounds I crazy. gave it a heart attack. <laughs> Exactly. She's like, she's yeah. like, yeah, rabbits are insanely prone to heart attacks. Yeah. And I think that's the stupidest thing ever. So, well, you know, unfortunately, it's why you're not die, a rabbit but, guy. And yeah, so within one day, I saw these two. Uh, so the one in the hand right now, that's an Eastern, uh, excuse me, a male. That's a male. They're both Eastern box turtles of a male and then the female. Now, this female I saw three nights earlier, about 150 feet away from this spot. Um, I did not palpate them. I didn't want to stress them out at all, you know. But, Only the rabbit. Yeah, well, I, I didn't know, you know. Uh, but this one right here, the male, was the red, most red, you know, uh, eastern boxer I've ever seen. Now, I'm sure Chris has some on his property that are rivaling, if not more. But that thing blew me away when I saw it. I was about, That's I wouldn't a pretty say, one, man. yeah, I was about 100 feet away from it, and I saw walking across this mulch path. And I just literally dropped everything in my hands because I had plants in my hands and whatnot. I just dropped everything and just ran as fast as I could because I didn't want to dip into the brush real quick and not get it. I really uh, wish somebody had a camera on him today that, that day because it just sounded hysterical from start to finish. Were you screaming like the rabbit when you saw him? <laughs> no, no. But I, I did, it, keep in mind, it was about 6 in the morning, and I was like, holy – and I ran. <laughs> you know, I saw that glowing red head, and I was like, yeah. that's insane. You know, So I ran over there as fast as I could. That was really, really cool to see. Uh, three days they, prior, they look, um, they look big up, up there. Are they, are they, yeah, uh, they are large? Big. Wow. Yeah, they are. So I saw a female two years ago, and uh, we actually had a video on the air of it laying eggs. Mm-hmm. That was thing was insanely bulbous, uh, just like <laughs> massive, you know. Good word use. Yeah. And uh, what we just saw, um, yeah, our buddy Eric had uh, is am I saying that right, Eric? Yeah. Yeah, I only know him from the internet. Sorry. Uh, he posted a photo of like an insanely large one. Um, I didn't get the exact measurements, but very, very huge animal as far as this species goes. Interesting. Yeah. yeah pretty Pam, neat. Pam Meyer as well, who's the, the best yeah. rehabber in Connecticut. She, um, she had a picture of a large one. They were kind of going back and forth about who's, who's bigger encountered the larger. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, my, uh, my cousins, um, and aunt and uncle live in upstate New York and, the one and only box turtle I ever found in New York uh, was on, was in their backyard, and this thing was like almost twice the size of what I'm used to seeing down here, you know. And it, you know, a lot of times the northern animals are larger, you know. So it's just it's yeah. that stuff's just always cool. But sorry, That's I want to add one last thing Bird, in really quick. Bergman's rule, by the way. Yeah, in case yeah, yeah. anyone wants that, to look it thank up, you. Bergman's rule. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. What were you going to say? One thing that we've been noticing here in Connecticut, and I'm not sure in other places as well, is that we've been finding nests that are dug, they've laid the eggs, and then they're not covering up the nest at all, which is pretty weird. They're just leaving completely, you know, open nests with eggs at the bottom. 
Uh, I found it personally. I found a couple nests like that. My buddy has. Then we got reports from friends of ours from other areas in Connecticut that have it. So you don't, think, you, guys... take, you don't think somebody's taking the females while they're in the process, do you? I mean, the spot that I go to, I know the people that go to this spot for animals. Yeah. You know, to, like, to look at them and whatnot. And they're all like upstanding dudes that wouldn't do that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's um, weird. It is weird. But mm-hmm. we, like I said, we've been hearing from another parts of Connecticut too. So I don't know if that's just it's insanely dry here. Or the people that are watching, if you see that, you know, send me an email. I'm curious to hear about it. If you have photos, things like that. Right. Cool. Cool. Thanks, Kev. All right, Anthony, yeah. you're up. I'm up, man. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm going quick, too. Word. That picture of my backyard, as it is right now. I just took that today. Um, you see the pens. There's one to the right of the shed, one to the left of the shed behind my daughter's playhouse. And then the pond off in the distance on the left. And um, yeah, I think, you know, I'm doing well with construction. I'm, I'm a little out of it today. I feel like I spent the day at the beach because of the work that I put into those walls. I was doing the pens near the shed today. I'd done the pond, as you guys know, in the past. So I'm um, just trying to get the new yard set up for the animals and things like that. But um, really, like, proud of the walls. They're very sturdy. They have a lip on the inside. They go down into the ground, and my wife thinks they look good, which is probably the, most the latter portion of that is the most important, yeah. exactly, because if she's not going to go for it, then I'm dead in the water. Um, so going pretty well with that, you know, preventing escapes and things, I, I feel really good about it. I actually saw a chipmunk that got found its way into my pond enclosure and I watched it. I'm not kidding for 30 minutes and it couldn't get out. It didn't know wow. how to get out a chipmunk <laughs> seriously, because the lip it's a six inch lip. It comes all the way out. And then there's a really big lip made of hardware cloth and it was just hanging against the back fence and it was just hanging out there going back and forth to the corners and it just couldn't figure out a way to get out. And I'm not kidding when I say a half hour, I'm working in the yard and I just keep going back and the chipmunk is still there freaking out. It's like Kevin's rabbit. We keep finding weird, weird rodents, rodents that are, yeah, yeah, that are that are just freaking out. It's funny because um, I I have both of those that that are just in and out of my enclosures all the time. But the rabbits actually stay, and they will. They, I think they think I'm feeding them because they have yeah. a similar diet to the tortoises. Right? Why not? A little Missouri. It's nice. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So that's the peak. The pit is um, this guy. Is that a video? Uh, that's a that's a video. So that's a, a little leopard tortoise chasing a larger female. And that guy um, has been a pain in my butt because I had my yard set up for the leopard tortoises. And leopard tortoises, they don't really dig ever. They're large, they're domed. So I had the fence set up so that I could have my leopard group and that they could stay in the new, this is my first year in the new house. So I'm, I'm getting everything ready and there's a million things to do and I can only do so many in a day or a week or a month. And, um, I thought I had it ready. And this leopard is an escape, uh, is an escape artist because he's, he's probably, I haven't weighed him. I really need to, he's, he's gotta be less than 500 grams, but he's a mature male who was, it must be just the captive growth or whatever. He's the smallest adult leopard tortoise I've ever seen. And um, so he's mature. He's breeding all the females. He's all over the females all day. Um, But at the same time, he's like pocket size. So he finds little spots that he can get out where a leopard tortoise would never be able to get out. Mm -hmm. So he's gotten out three times so far. And I still have him. I'm very on top of everything. 
But uh, yeah. Now, so would this, your wife be okay with you putting hardware cloth along the bottom, like buried the entire property? Yeah, she would be okay with it, but like my fingers and my bank account wouldn't be okay with it. Like, yeah, who wants, who wants to do that? Damn. It would be like $500, tons of effort, and rip my hands up in the process. I Like, you remember in the office where Dwight Schrute builds the gym for muscles, and he has a tin, yeah. cut, a tin cutting station. And I think yeah. of hardware cloth every time. He's like... You cut this you cut this for 15 minutes and your forearms will be on fire like yeah i know i do hardware cloth for my turtle so i know all about it there you go pit and peak all right uh, steve you're up about your pit actually really quick. oh there's a question. question okay all i right, got yep. a question for you yeah uh steve can you pull up the picture of his uh peak uh yeah 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 the uh give me a second i thought i had something else Backyard. about ready to go here um and peak. what's your question Fade, Oops. go. So, yeah, so in your enclosures there, you see that uh, along, you know, the sides of them anyway, there's uh, like chain link fence, correct? Yeah. Now, do you have any visual barriers on the bottom that stops the animals from trying to like target that area's escape? No, it's um, it's hardware cloth. And then as you can see, just look at the fence. It, there's so much, that's so much poison ivy, by the way. Um, all of the um, vines and leaves and things that creep in, also okay. come through the hardware cloth as well. So it becomes pretty opaque. Okay, um, awesome. You can see through it, but there's just green behind it and there's just green in front of it. I'm sure they realize that there's something on the other side, but you don't see them constantly trying to get out of that because it's, you know, it's very obvious that it's a wall. Okay, cool. Especially what when it grows in. In, the, in the early spring. And when I first set it up, it was much different than you know, give it a month or two, and then and then it just looks kind of like a wall of green. All right. Um, so I'd say my pit would be just trying to, you know, figure out a way to um, get these turtles to lay in the nesting area. Um, and I feel like I'm on the precipice of getting Graptomy's eggs, but uh, like I have so many species that should ne are are like approaching that age where they should start laying. So like I might actually be slowly getting impatient because I've been patient for so long with them. But you know, um, yeah. <clears throat> although um, you know, at the same time, like it's it's cool to have fertile eggs too in the incubator with those. But yeah. um, I'd say the best peak is. Oh, I have the wrong thing on. Uh -oh. I still have Anthony's Thank you. thing on. There we go. <laughs> Um, that means a lot. Uh, these two Cicalia quadriochilata eggs are looking really good and um, should probably hatch within the next several weeks. So, nice. four eyed turtles. Yeah, four eyed turtles. Keeping track at home. Four eyed turtles. Yeah. Yep. Four so cool, man. Yeah. So um, basically, they start out as banded and then eventually they will chalk to one end. And then eventually they'll chalk all the way to the other end. And once they're completely chalked to both ends, um, uh, in the past, my data says they'll hatch in about 11 days from the point that they fully chalk. So, well, Who's keeping track? Right. <laughs> awesome, man. Very cool. Okay, so now we're on to our last, our last feature, which is the best taxa spotlight, best species spotlight. And this week we want to answer, uh, we want to highlight a species that we've each never kept, but that we like. We haven't done that before, right? No. 
I don't think so. It's new, and it's new so, right? I'm trying to keep it fresh. So Andrew Hermes had asked a question way back earlier in the chat. Was like, yeah, like it was basically like this. Question. So I told him he needed to wait. Um, <laughs> but he said, starting with Anthony and going around, what species do you not currently work with that you would want to in the future? There we is go. he is he offering? Andrew. <laughs> Am I so, so he said starting well, that's with what, Anthony, that's so what he said in his question. So um All right, are you ready for me to go I first? I am ready for you to go first if you want to. All right, yeah, of course, of course. Here you go. So um for this I, I chose the ornate box turtle. Um it's a species that I never kept. Um it's they they have a huge range, and I, I mean the ornate box turtle, which I guess is a subspecies um, in itself, um, right? According to most people, Chris can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, large range, <laughs> some of that includes some cold tolerant, um, some cold tolerance as well, and sure. they're cool. I think I think they look really great. They're beautiful. My wife won't call these army helmets like she calls my three toes. Um, my three toads. Uh, I think they're really cool. They have a larger head than most uh, North American box turtles. And I just think they're really cool looking. I'm excited to see their behavior um, to, when I eventually work with them myself. And uh, yeah, what's not to like, right? Nice. Was I wrong, Chris? No, you're, you're, you're pretty good. Pretty good? What did I mess up? Nothing. No, you're fine. I'm talking about a species that I have never kept so give me a break but they're I I'm, I'm not in a, my voice just cracked uh -huh. <clears throat> oh, yeah. they're well, very they're very attractive they, they are they they could rival the florida box turtle they really could i love them and they're great i hibernated right. them right here brewmated them right here outside there you could do it See? i think they're much nicer than the florida box turtle do you uh yeah. nicer in terms of looks or nicer visual, in terms of visual i haven't kept really them, so. Yeah. Floridas are Floridas are sexy. I, some of my Floridas, I, I mean, I'm sorry, radiateds are gorgeous, but it's kind of like move over, dude. You know, right? like some of the Florida box turtles are insane. Floridas are crazy. Now, are you just pretty. talking about like the striations on the shell, or? Yeah, I mean, I have I have one that um, I think I, I I used photos of it in my box turtle video. She's actually got like a caramel chocolate shell, and with with a lot of striations, and, and you know. And it comes down to opinion. Ornate box turtles are absolutely gorgeous. Just ask Jordan Gray. Right. You know, they're, they're unbelievable, you know. But anyway. All right. There you go. Um, let's go in keep going in alphabetical order. Let's go, Chris. Go. Okay. So I chose the bog turtle, Glyptomus mulembergii, uh, or bergii, whatever. Um, now, this is a species that, let me be clear, that I would never, absolutely, ever, ever, never, never attempt to keep because of the federal and state restrictions on it. But it is a species that I would love to keep because not only do I love it because it occurs in my state and occurs in the Northeast, and I have an affinity for those species, but I think I would do very, very well for them. Uh, over the years, I have grown accustomed to being able to provide for North American species, particularly those in my area. And um, I just really think that if I were ever given the chance to house a bog turtle or a group of them that they would thrive and I would do really well by them. Um, I've heard a lot of stories that they actually are hardy when set up in proper conditions. I've heard this from people in other countries and people from the few states in the United States of America that can legally keep them. Um, and I don't doubt that they would do really well. Um, it's sad that it can't seem to be done and it may never be done. I think that that's a failure for the turtles in the end because I think that the right people could do very right by them. But uh, uncharted water's there and don't ever attempt it. Nice. One of these days, I'm not going to stutter at all. Sometimes I stutter and I get upset myself. I might not sleep tonight over that. But anyway. I didn't see it. 
No worries. <laughs> All right, Kevin, uh, on your mark, get set, go. go. All right, no surprise here. A Dimebag Terrapin. It is the uh, <laughs> the mangrove Dimebag Terrapin. Uh, Malaclemi's Terrapin Riser Ferrarum. And that's the land I may have messed up, Steve, if I did. Tell me. If not, no, I think you're pretty good. Hold your piece. Uh, perfect. So there are two different locales of these, uh, southern and northern, I guess. Uh, the Keys, southern Keys, northern Keys. And uh, I may mix them up, but I believe that the southern are the large spots like you see here, these big. You know, almost like what you would see in concentric diamondback or concentric patterning phenotypes, uh, but really, really large blotches where the the uh, northern gets a lot more like speckled and spot splotched, kind of like uh, the Fort Myers ornate. And uh, if you don't know that, uh, email me. I'll send you pictures to show the difference. Uh, I showed Chris recently; he saw them. Uh, but it's a really, really cool uh, tariff, and I have a few buddies that work with them. And what they recently kind of uh, been looking at in the wild is that these are almost even not brackish terrapin anymore. These are like saltwater terrapins. The salinity is so high where they're at, you know, on these islands, uh, that it's it's salt water. It's really cool. I think it'd be That's interesting cool. to try to try it out. Awesome, man. Thank you. Steve, bring us home, man. Uh, I'm going to go with um, any of the flower back Kawara. I haven't worked with any of them, and uh, I, I know my wife thinks they're gorgeous, too, which always helps. So mm-hmm. that's where I'd go. I didn't I didn't have a picture ready, but. That's where I'd go. I've worked with like, like 50 plus species. If you include the time I was helping Joshua with his stuff. So sometimes it's hard to find something that I was like, Oh yeah, there's something I haven't touched. So that's cool. It's really cool. I appreciate that answer. Now I know. And that concludes our show. But first let me remind you about our bonfire campaign with the first ever podcast logo merchandise. Look at the array of grayish merchandise. <laughs> there's, there's a lot more colors. Uh, yeah, that just happens to be what the colors. preview decided to show up tonight. Um, That's funny. But please, please, please go buy those. Uh, it supports our educational programs. Um, That's right. We, we've only, they're almost the same color, we, but they're we've not. only sold about 25 of these so far between the, the two designs. We'd, we'd like to hit 50 of those if possible by the end of Friday when the campaign ends. So don't, don't run out of time to get your limited edition podcast tees. It's funny, the, the, the Terrapin shirt did so well. And it just, yeah, I, it lets me know. You know what? You know what? What I, work I, people appreciate more. Well, it's, you know, when I think of it, some of it has to do with the fact that, um, you know, uh, it's Diamondback Terrapins. We've covered that. I mean, people, you know, people love Diamondback Terrapins and, uh, you know, there's a lot more people out there that love Diamondback Terrapins or that heavily interest in them than they are our podcast, but we're hoping we can get there. So guys, please help us out because what you did for us with the Terrapin shirts was amazing. You made a lot of things possible and uh, we would greatly appreciate it. We work hard on this stuff and um, we want to keep this going. We want to keep being able to do all the things that TTR is able to do, which means we need your help. We need your support. And, um, you know, we're, we're eternally grateful for anybody that uh, even just checks it out. So thank you. Yeah. Hey, I also want to thank everybody for joining us. You know, this is the second podcast this month. Yeah, uh, thank that, you. That's a big deal. You know, we have a pretty good viewership right now. Uh, let us know if you like seeing two a month or if you are sick of us. <laughs> you want, you know. I'm sick of you. <laughs> yeah, Plural. Uh, all of us, yeah. 
Yeah, not uh, you, Kev. Thank you. No, not you, Kev. Mostly Chris. I, well, I thought I had the best shirt tonight. You do. You do. But the shirt only gets you so far. Uh, All right. Thank you, guys. It out. See you next time. All right. Have good good night. night. Bye.